Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. <laughs> When I was a kid, my older sister was the manager of a small historic movie theater in our also historic southern Indiana hometown. It was located in our town's very busy and tourist-filled downtown area. This movie theater has been around for years and is somewhat of a focal point in our town's history. Ever since I can remember, there have been ghost stories surrounding this theater. Spectral maintenance men, ghost children running around, etc. Amateur ghost hunters would come in fairly often to explore and see if they could make contact. It's definitely a spooky place to be alone at night, but anyway, since I didn't ride the bus to or from school, my sister would pick me up after school, then bring me to the movie theater with her where I would hang out while she worked until our mom came to pick us up. This was in the 2000s to early 2010s, and I didn't have a cell phone or any kind of electronic devices, so when I was hanging out at the theater, I could pretty much only do my homework, read a book, draw, or just watch people to keep myself busy. One day after we got to the theater, I didn't have any homework to do, so I grabbed a book and sat on the theater stairs to read. At this point, my sister and I were the only people in the theater. As I was reading, a movie was starting, and people began heading up the stairs to the smaller of the two theaters. I remember the movie was rated PG-13, specifically because this was a bit of an anomaly for the theater. They had never shown R-rated movies, and even PG-13 is a bit much to ask for. This will be important for later. Fast forward about an hour. Some people have come down from the theater to buy concessions and went immediately back up. I'm still sitting on the stairs, and my sister is still behind the concessions counter. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, I felt the need to look up at the second level of the stairs. When I did, I saw a little boy, probably 10 years old or younger, leaning over the stairs and staring at me, with this look on his face that said, Who are you? You're not supposed to be here. I immediately got chills, but couldn't really place why at the time. He was just a kid, right? The owners of the movie theater had several young boys who they would bring with them when they were working. But after checking with my sister, I again confirmed that she and I were the only ones there aside from the guests watching the movies upstairs. Here's where the movie being PG-13 becomes important. I watched every single person who came up and down those stairs. I saw everyone who watched the movie come in, and never once did I see a little boy. This makes sense, as the theater was strict about only allowing of-age individuals into PG-13 movies. 
So there was no little boy in that theater after all. If that's the case, what the hell did I see? I told my sister about seeing the little boy and the odd look on his face. She shrugged and said, Yeah, I've seen him too. As if this were completely normal for her. She told me that under the movie theater was a system of catacombs that connect to several other basements in the downtown area. Apparently the owners had found several antique toys hidden in crawl spaces in the catacombs. It turns out, they had seen the little boy as well. Their assumption was that the little boy was somehow attached to the movie theater in life and was now attached in death. Maybe the toys had been his at some point, and maybe they were just randomly placed there. We'll probably never know. I still continued to frequent the theater there several times after seeing the little boy, but I never saw him again. However, lots of other people have reported seeing him, so I can at least safely say I'm probably not crazy. The owners would sometimes give tours of the basement catacombs, and people, including my sister, would bring offerings to the little boy, like toys and games, and they would leave them in the crawl spaces. An old school friend of mine whose parents were amateur ghost hunters had even allegedly caught the little boy's voice on tape. My sister and her bosses did some fairly extensive research on the history of the theater and couldn't find a single documented instance of a little boy dying in or otherwise having a reason to be attached to the theater. But I don't suppose that means there isn't a reason out there somewhere. I guess the little boy and his sightings will remain a mystery for now. I know a fair amount of these types of stories have possible explanations and are basic coincidences at most, but hear me out. This may be long, but I was thoroughly disturbed last night at work. Let me just say that I am known to be a pretty observant guy. All my friends and family who know me even slightly well know me to be a hyper-aware person who notices everything. It is pretty hard to slip something past me. Not to say I'm proud or cocky or anything, it's just a little background about me. I have worked at this sandwich joint for over a year and a half. We run a tight-knit crew. I am a good employee and in good standing with the owner and manager. I'm basically a night crew manager. The restaurant itself is very slow, as we tend to receive maybe 20 to 30 customers within my entire 7-hour closing shift. This means that I naturally tend to start conversations with customers. I like to figure out what people do for work, where they went to college, how their lives are, and all that stuff. You could say I get personal, but hey, people like it when you're not just a robotic employee. Anyway, I like talking to people. It gets me through the days, you know? And generally, people are pretty nice about it. About a week or so ago, this man came in. I would say early 30s, dark hair, dark features. He was wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt with the hood up. 
It was late at night, say 9.30ish, and I was ready to close this bad boy up and get home, but had another half hour to kill. So I said, screw it, let's start a conversation with this guy. Maybe his dad is like a congressman or something cool. Maybe I'll learn something from him. Holy hell, this guy was creepy. He wouldn't meet my direct eyeline. He would talk to me by looking above or between my eyes. He kept his left hand tucked in the back of his pants waistline. He kept his hand there the entire time. He was looking nervous and reluctant, as almost people who commit robberies do. As I was making his sandwich, I was becoming more and more sure that I was about to be robbed. He asked for a ham sandwich on white bread. The way we lay ham is pretty formulaic, but due to his creepy demeanor, I was admittedly feeling nervous. The eight slices of ham ended up being folded over at different ratios, laid on top of each other sloppily, and did not look too appetizing of a sandwich. The man asked for Swiss cheese, which I laid in a less than orderly fashion, and the sandwich is still clearly missing its picture-perfectness that you see on TV. These details may seem irrelevant, but I just want you to know the gist of it. You'll see why. The man asked if I could toast his sandwich. This means that I would have to turn my back to him for a few seconds to throw it in the toaster. A lot was running through my head, and I was not prepared to turn my back to him. This caused a sort of mini panic, and I grabbed his sandwich and attempted to stand in such a way where I could keep my eye on him with my waist twisted just enough to get the sandwich in the toaster while still looking at him. As you may have guessed, I dropped it. I dropped the sandwich. I made a basic attempt to catch it as it fell, but to no avail. I started panicking pretty hard. In the few seconds before I looked up, I was bracing myself for a very angry creep staring at me. But he was gone. Vanished. I didn't even hear the squeak of the door, his footsteps, nothing. I ran outside and looked all around. He was just gone. There were no cars nearby either. The sandwich was still on the ground, fallen face down. Fast forward to last night. A man much older than the first comes in. I would say 60s, white hair, probably about 6 foot 6. He was probably the tall, dark, and handsome type of dude in the 70s or something. He's what most people would probably consider tall, dark, and handsome. He was a pretty nice dude, up until he started ordering his sandwich. I just got chills typing that last sentence because I have no idea how to proceed with the story. It just gets unsettling for me. I tried making casual conversation, but he suddenly became very stern and short with me. Okay, clearly this guy didn't want to talk about anything other than his sandwich. I asked what kind of meat he wanted, and he simply said ham. That's when he reached behind his waist, in the exact same way the first guy did. I swear to God, the gesture and motion were the exact same smoothness, timing, and form. He kept his left hand there, just like the other man did about a week ago, the same way, 
everything started eerily coming back to me now. It was like the most jolting deja vu moment I had ever had. And I honestly thought it was just that, a deja vu. And I swear, the way I ended up laying the ham looked very, very familiar. The distance between each slice, the way each layer peeled off the stack in ratio to the next, the way the slices folded over. I can honestly say that I was building the exact sandwich that I had built just a week ago. I zoned out and had a million racing thoughts running through my mind. I remember telling myself to reach for the Swiss cheese, so I did. I just had a feeling. How did you know I wanted Swiss cheese? I was taken aback. He actually wanted Swiss. How in the world do I pass it off as a lucky guess? Well, exactly how you would think. Lucky guess, I uttered, as I let out a pathetic little chuckle. For the first time in my life, I was about to feel what most people mean when they say they got chills down their spine. The man looks at me as if I told him I knew the winning lottery numbers coming up. Very inquisitive look. Very, very strong sense of passion in his words when he said this. No, seems like you've done this before. He just confirmed that he was aware of my deja vu. At this point, the phrase time traveler just made its first entrance into my mind. I looked at him with the most ridiculously awestruck expression. I sat there staring at him for a good five seconds before I laid the cheese. It was a surreal moment. It was like the climax of this confrontation had already happened. But I still needed to lay the cheese and veggies, roll the sandwich up, and then ring him in at the register. How much creepier is this going to get? I just don't get it. I picked up the cheese in the exact same way I always do, fan out the top four slices and lay them down. I was looking down at the same sandwich I had built a week prior. I swear to you, the cheese, the bread, the ham, everything was just uncannily similar. I consider myself a rational dude, so at this point I was just calling it deja vu and trying not to feel disturbed. The man then said, Just lettuce and tomato. Not toasted. Phew. Not toasted. Thank the good lord he didn't want it toasted. This deja vu is over and it's all just a coincidence, right? Well, some of you may not know, but there is a thing called a hot food tax in some places. Therefore, when a sandwich is toasted, there is a button for hot food taxation, and it's something like 12 cents. So, as a force of habit, I read the order back to the customer in this fashion. Alright, sir, so a ham sandwich, not toasted, with a bag of chips and two cookies. He looked very concerned as to why I mentioned it was not toasted. Hmm, why did you have to specify that it's not toasted, he asked. I explained to him what I said above, all about the hot food tax and whatnot. After explaining that to him, he was just kind of inquisitive about it. Nothing too weird. I didn't want to keep him any longer, so I took his card, swiped it, and could not wait for him to leave. As he walked out the door, he looked back at me, 
with the creepiest smile you can conceive in your imagination. He turns around and says what I honestly do not think I will ever forget. Just to let you know, I didn't not toast the sandwich because of the tax. I'm not that much of a cheap bastard. I just didn't want you to drop it. This story takes place in the early 1990s when I was about four years old. My parents had moved us from the central coast of California to a tiny southwest Washington state on a five-acre plot in the middle of the woods. Quickly after my parents had cleared the land and built our house, someone gifted me a small school bus about the size of those little Hot Wheels cars. I loved it and I took it everywhere with me. One day, I started pointing to the bus's tiny emergency exit door and telling my mom or anyone else who would listen. This is where Michael always sat. We didn't know any Michaels at the time, but my mom figured that I had learned the name from some TV program. She nodded along, not wanting to stifle my imagination. After a few weeks of talking about Michael, I revealed a new bit of information about him. Mom, is this where Michael sat before he died? This took my mom aback. She let it slide until I started to tell random strangers in the supermarket where Michael sat before his premature death, pointing to my small bus emergency door. She hoped these weird moments would just be a phase, but Michael was just getting started. I can't pinpoint exactly when I met Michael or how I knew his story. He never spoke, but he would show up in the room that I shared with my sister quite often. I'd be playing with dolls or whatever I did as a small kid, and he would appear standing next to me. He was about five or six years old, blonde hair, wearing a 1980s era matching sweatsuit with geometric shapes in red, blue, and yellow. I felt like he was trying to get my attention, but I was constantly trying to avoid him. He was just there, all the time. I complained to my parents, but they chalked it up to my imagination. The stress of the move, or perhaps jealousy brought on by the birth of my baby brother. But then Michael started sleeping in my bed. That was too far. I remember waking up in my trundle bed. Somehow, my older sister slept through the whole ordeal every night. I would see a faint glowing light around Michael as he curled up at the end of my bed, asleep. I wasn't happy about it. I don't know if I was even scared as much as I was just annoyed that this boy was in my space. I would scream out to my parents to come get Michael off of my bed. My parents tell me now that they didn't take it seriously the first night that they heard me scream out for help. They were, like many parents awoken in the middle of the night to a screaming child, a bit agitated. However, this attitude changed one night. 
My dad sleepily walked along the corridor to my room and froze in his tracks. He says that the hair on the back of his neck stood straight up. He saw me curled up in a ball at the back corner of my bed, pointing and focused in on something towards the end of my bed. I told my dad, Michael, he's right there, dad. Make Michael leave. At a loss, my dad let me sleep in my parents' room on the floor. Michael came back again and again. My dad says that my parents would play rock, paper, scissors to choose which one of them had to come in and soothe me each time. They were terrified and pretty certain that there was something in that room. Eventually, they had had it, and they considered bringing in a priest to bless the house. But that was never necessary. I came downstairs early one morning while my dad was watching the news before heading to work. I startled him, and he asked me why I was up. I said, I want to let you know Michael left. He went to live with his mom in the woods. I remember that morning pretty vividly all these years later. I remember seeing a blonde woman with a low ponytail parted down the middle. She wore a black shirt and she came to get Michael. Like Michael, she never actually spoke to me, but I knew who she was and where Michael was going. Now Michael became sort of a lore in our family. And for better or worse, he was my first of many paranormal encounters, but I never saw him again. Though, he may have joined us one more time. See, a few years back, I was living in San Francisco and dating my now husband. I brought him home to Southwest Washington to meet my family for the first time. The first night we were there, my brother stayed up with me and my husband pretty late. We were drinking wine and chatting at the table in the breakfast nook. We were listening to some 70s sound choice station that my dad had left playing on the television. It was around midnight when my brother asked my husband, Has McKinley told you about her many run-ins with ghosts? My eyes rolled and I prepared for my brother's attempts at scaring the bejesus out of him. He proceeded to tell my husband, the story of Michael. When he finished, he turned to me and cocked his head to the side. Hey, has Michael ever come back? I thought for a moment. No, I don't think so. Suddenly, the music stopped and it drew our attention to the TV and sound system as it powered all the way down and restarted. As it restarted, the sound system showed its welcome hello screen as the 70s channel re-emerged just in time to play the chorus from Reunited by Peaches and Herbs. Reunited, and it feels so good. We were stunned. None of us were anywhere near the television remote. But it was so creepy. We were a good 20 feet away from the TV and the song playing before it powered down was different and the power-up only took 10 seconds. It switched so fast. My husband turned to me and my brother, then back to me. Are you guys playing a trick on me? I laughed out of pure shock. My brother looked pale and denied it. 
We sat there for a moment in awkward silence. Then the next song played. Superstition by Stevie Wonder. I'm now working at a local historic society to try and figure out who Michael might have been. There was an active serial killer in the 80s in that area, and we did disturb the forest to build our house. Uh, who knows? But I'll keep you posted if we uncover anything worth sharing. I got into cryptozoology as a side hobby, mostly to distract myself from everyday life and all the shit you gotta deal with. As a young lad, I browsed old image boards for spooky shit. I liked scaring myself and really felt drawn to certain stories. I live east of the Rockies in Canada and sometimes stay up north, essentially in the middle of nowhere. And I'm sure, as we all know, the absolute middle of the wilderness is a fantastic haunting zone for all sorts of cryptids. I would read stories about the local cryptids in my area and could very well imagine those same beasts being right outside my window because, well, that's where they are. It's with those thoughts that my fascination with the paranormal shifted slowly from reading stories to wanting to experience it for myself. So as a kid, I began doing weird shit, reading old magic spell books that may or may not have been legit, messing around with Ouija boards, spending the nights in graveyards and walking through the woods late at night. I would like to assure you, I didn't try to sacrifice the local cats, but I did place one in a summoning circle once. Now, unfortunately, it seems like I had rather poor luck when it came to getting an encounter. When I messed around with the Ouija board with my siblings, it would always say mysterious things and just heckle me. Very discouraging. But I did not let my experience with these mysterious spirits stop me. I started a journal of potentially paranormal happenings. Most of it is circumstantial and easily explained away. Odd noises, shadows that don't quite look right, animals acting strange, and shapes in the woods that seemed to disappear before I got close. I'm sure some of you would lend more credence to a host of odd things happening over your childhood, but personally, I think the mind sometimes sees what it wants to see, and so I remained skeptical. And, well, that's really how it stayed. Until I met my Uncle Kevin. You see, my family is very, very, very Irish. A decent amount of us fought in the Civil War, and I have IRA relatives. But my uncle was unique, even among all that. He was a druid. I'm not talking about a hippie college druid who smokes way too much weed, I'm talking about a large man with a beard in his 60s who meets with other old people to perform legitimate pagan rituals mixed up with a bit of the good old Irish Christianity. I'm not certain exactly how he reconciles the two, but I suppose through faith everything is possible. Like me, he had a deep interest in the paranormal, 
although with him I suppose you could call it a more professional interest. He introduced me to some of our old ways, among them the Irish language and our old mythologies. The way he went on about traditions and our old practices made me feel comfortable talking to him about my own thoughts and experiences. I showed him my journal, told him about my forays into the dense Canadian forests and the stories I had read online. To my surprise, he took it all in stride. I was expecting him to laugh me off or even get all serious and tell me to stop joking around. Instead, he told me to keep it up, keep going hard at what it was I was passionate about. But he did give one serious warning. Be careful when interacting with the unknown. Kevin told me that he had met creatures from the fairy world several times, and it was his duty as a druid to keep the balance between our world and theirs. For some context, we Irish seem to refer to absolutely everything paranormal as fairies. Ghosts, changelings, even the leprechaun are all fairies. Anyway, on the topic of fairies, Uncle Kevin told me that as a child, he was marked by the fairy world, and that's why he took up the mantle of a druid. Now be warned, my uncle fully believes what I'm about to share, and while I do trust that he believes what he's saying, I think there could be other explanations. Apparently, as a child, fairy circles would appear around him if he slept outside basically a circle of mushrooms, he could often see odd figures in the distance that would disappear if pointed out. It was mundane things like that, until we got to the topic of his father, a cruel man from what I've heard. After a particularly hard beating, a sudden shriek exploded across the old Irish countryside, shattering all the glass objects in their poor old hut. The smell of old rot and smoke penetrated through the old doors, and my uncle was struck with an overwhelming urge to flee. Leaping from the hands of his now extremely distracted father, he burst out the door, running for the safety of the distant hills. Looking back, he saw that the old bog behind their house had burst into a thousand tiny flames, dotting as far as he could see. Individually insignificant, but their combined power assaulted my uncle with an overwhelming stench and rush of smoke, making it hard for him to see or breathe. It's at this point of the story that he stops, looks at me, and makes me to promise to take what he is about to say very seriously. Of course, I'm ecstatic. This is what I have been looking for. So I eagerly nod, excited to hear what would happen next. When he peered into the hellscape that was engulfing his house, he thought he saw something amongst all the tiny flames. Well, more accurately, someone. A figure draped in tattered rags with a hood pulled up around its head. When my uncle saw it, the thing leaned back and let out an ear-piercing wail, longer than the original forcing my uncle to cover his ears to escape from the sudden pain. Not that it helped much. The scream apparently felt like it was drilling into his head. It's here that my uncle ends the story abruptly. 
he apparently didn't remember that much afterwards, only that his father was very angry with him and no fire seemed to have taken place. What he saw was dismissed as hallucinations induced from the beatings or just lies. Even the broken glass might have just been his dad breaking shit in their house. What is interesting is that soon afterwards, his father ended up dying of some sort of illness, which my uncle attributed to the fairy folk. Now, obviously, there's plenty of room for doubt here. That may just be an invention of an abused mind, and like what I said before, the mind sees what it wants to see. After this, I had to give my uncle a day to recover. Telling the story had apparently brought back some bad memories, and he spent the next few hours just sitting and reading through some old book about identifying plants. He's a big man with a big heart, and every day he tries his hardest not to be like his father. So I give him some time, and it was a day later when I took him to the edge of the forest I had written about in my journal. We made a fire and sat by the woods for a bit, making some western-style bannock, and just chatting generally about ghosts and spirits. Like I said before, my uncle considered himself a keeper of peace between the worlds, and apparently, keeping the peace sometimes involved evicting troublesome guests. For the most part, we apparently live alongside the fairy folk without even noticing them, but occasionally they act up, and my uncle has to show them the metaphorical door, something along the lines of an exorcism, but my uncle stressed the two practices were quite different. In his own words, he does not drive out demons or free souls from evil. He merely gently, yet very firmly, gets troublesome fairies to leave, and he only deals with the supernatural that he is familiar with. When I asked him if he could deal with a local creature, like maybe a Wendigo or a Skinwalker, he flatly said no. He had no real experience or idea of the habits, strengths, weaknesses, or history of those creatures, and attempted to apply what worked in Ireland might just be a shot in the dark. According to him, acting in these situations, without prior preparation or knowledge, would sometimes be fatal, especially considering the darker reputation of some cryptids. Nothing much happened while we were at the edge of the woods, as per usual. The bannock was good. If you hadn't had a chance to try some campfire bannock, you should really make a point of doing so. Eventually, we decided to pack up. My uncle had to visit more relatives before he went back to Ireland, and I still had a bedtime at this point. Besides, the forest was getting real quiet. Dark clouds were gathering, and the wind was starting to kick up the snow. All sure signs that some sort of storm was coming. My uncle wasn't used to the big storms we got, and I remember him looking around rather concerned and insisting we go, probably dreading walking back in heavy snowfall. You might think I'm trying to lead up to a spooky bit here about walking away and looking back to see an ominous tall man in the trees, but nope. The most we got was a lone deer walking out of the woods and keeping an eye on us. Nothing out of the ordinary in western Canada. He departed the next day for British Columbia to visit our extended family over there. 
but he left me an old bird identification book and one of his cross necklaces, which was very nice of him. I wish we had more time, I barely got to see him, and his stories really ignited my passion for cryptids and the supernatural. Since then I have grown up quite a bit, no more bedtime, for example. I constantly go out looking for the supernatural, but perhaps I'm just not touched by the fairy folk in the same way my uncle is. I have some experiences that I cannot discredit, and I feel like I've had more of those ever since my uncle visited, but I'm still missing the big catch that I've been looking for. It's like when you see something just on the edge of your vision, and you turn to see nothing there. It feels like they're around me, but I'm just too stupid to notice, or not fast enough to catch them. I came here looking for advice and maybe more stories on what best to do to interact and document any potential cryptids, particularly the ones local to the rocky area. And if I happen to piss off a particularly dangerous cryptid, perhaps some tips on how not to die. This takes place back in 2005. I was 16 at the time. This is the year my grandmother, Annette, passed away. My grandmother and I were very close, two peas in a pod, if you will. I was her favorite grandchild. We had a connection that no one in our family could explain. My name is Caitlin, yet she called me Katrina. When she passed away, it was the most difficult experience I had been through. Going back to her house for the first time after her passing was very hard. I laid in her bed and cried. I couldn't leave. Fast forward a week. My mom and aunt were cleaning out the house and going through documents from my grandmother's life. My mom found the documents in my grandmother's safety deposit box. While they did this, I would gather and collect what I wanted from my grandmother's things. I remember overhearing my mom say, Mom, where is the key to this box? I had no clue what she meant at the time. About two nights later, though, after hearing my mom say this, I had a dream where I was back at my grandmother's house. She was in her big red chair in her room and turned to me and said, Hello, Katrina. I simply said, Hi, Grandma, are you okay? Is this real? Well, she proceeded to tell me that she was fine and happy. She told me, Katrina, the key your mom is looking for is in my room, and my dresser taped on the roof of the dresser. Can you let her know? I smiled, and I was so happy to see her and talk to her, and I told her, yes, I can do that. I went on to tell her about how much I loved and missed her. She told me that she knew. She would always be watching me and that she had to go. The next morning I woke up and I went to my mom and said, Grandma, she's okay and happy. And she wanted me to tell you where her key to the safety deposit box is. My mom drove me to her house and I showed her. She asked me how I knew that it was there and I simply said, Grandma showed me. My mom smiled and was surprised but told me, 
I always knew you two had some kind of connection. My grandma since has visited me three more times in my dreams. Now that I'm married and happy, living my life to the fullest, she no longer visits. Because I feel like she doesn't need to watch over me anymore. So I haven't heard from her since. But I fully believe when I was younger that she was watching over me and letting me know that she was okay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails. This week you have heard... The Little Boy in the Movie Theater by Sam. I Think I May Have Made a Sandwich for a Time Traveler by Clever Username 7. My Story, Michael by McKinley. My Druidic Uncle and the Beginnings of My Interest in Cryptozoology by Frosty Beaver. And finally, A Story About My Grandmother by Caitlin Kelleher. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Odd Trails is not associated with any message boards online. If you have any stories you'd like heard on the show, submit them to stories at oddtrails.com. You can also find us on Instagram at oddtrailspodcast. We started to talk about cults for a bit after we did some of the, uh, the stories a bit earlier, and you got to talking about your religion growing up. I was thinking maybe yeah. you might want to touch on it on the show. Yeah, uh, if you know me personally, or if you have any long experience with Let's Not Meet. I think I've talked about it a few times publicly. I was born in the religion of Pentecostalism, uh, specifically the United Pentecostal Church cult. And yes, I am going to call it a cult. It is a cult. Uh, in my teens, when I, my whole life I knew something was up. But in my teens, when I really felt like something was wrong, I took a test online to find out if I was in a cult, and I passed with flying colors. I checked nearly every box that said I was absolutely in a cult. Very controlling. Uh, they were. They made everybody dress a certain way. They had dress restrictions. Women have to wear skirts. They can't cut their hair. They can't wear makeup. They can't have jewelry. Men can kind of do whatever they want. It's, uh, it's very, go figure. Yeah, go it's, figure. it's very geared towards uh, the women being submissive to the men. But, uh, yeah, and, and then there were things like you couldn't have a TV. You couldn't associate it with people outside of the church unless it was for work or something necessary. But if you had, like, close friends and you especially couldn't date or marry outside of the church— it was like his own little world that you had to live in. They even spoke in tongues, that whole thing where they... Yeah, like, yeah. It, which, it, I've looked it up. It's some kind of like mass hypnosis thing. Like you imitate right. somebody else and the thing that they do and mm-hmm. you just say that you're speaking in tongues. It's cra- And, you know, I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody that is Pentecostal that listens to this podcast. I've been where you're at. I'm not going to try and get you out of there. If, if that's your thing, that's your thing as long as you're happy. But I encourage you to look inside yourself and see if you really are happy. And it's crazy because there are still cults. Like, they're allowed to be around. Like, there's there's still... I don't understand that at all. Like, how are they... There's still a thing. But I guess ultimately, despite the kind of technology and resources that may be apparent or available to us, people like you and I, and perhaps our listeners... Yeah. I guess we should tell them about our little investigative reporting experience <laughs> we, we had with the church of well, should I say it? Yeah, I, I mean say it? it's a church of 
it's a cult. I mean, we can yeah. just play it safe and leave it at that. The uh, the church of it's a cult. Yeah, no, we. I think it's the one cult we're allowed to make fun of. That is true. So, are we going to? Are we, we absolutely are. It's the, the church of Scientology. Scientology. That was really smooth. <laughs> we, did, we, did, we did that very well. That was good. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Um, not wonderful. really. Not really. Uh, feel bad. I feel bad for anybody who's had to. Uh, go through that or never really had much of a choice rather um it was very creepy to say the least and that's just not to throw out generic terms but there, the whole vibe was creepy it, it just, was it felt weird being there i didn't it like was. it at all and you know you could just feel an energy about that place yeah, and even to the there. point of them following you to the bathroom yeah yeah the uh, the same lady who initially gave us that personality test at the very beginning of the day um instead of just telling me like the door was third door on the left she followed me down to the bathroom, waited for me, and just kind of ate her her trail mix out of her sandwich <laughs> bag. A little and, sandwich bag of trail mix. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. Just followed me down. Like, oh, I got to take a break, too. I'll go with you. Yeah. I'll just wait here. Good time to eat my trail mix outside of the, the bathroom. I'll just there. listen to your pee sound. Pretty much. And after that, I came back, and that lady, she was really trying to get you to sign up for, like, some sort of intro communications course. Um, it was like she ended up being like a couple hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, they was, they just kept bringing up prices. Yeah, like it was just price after price. Like yeah. they were trying to sell me something. Yeah, we tried getting to the bottom end of okay, that's how we wanted to join. What do we got to do? Uh, but nobody no. ever does that. So that's kind of like a red flag. You kind of have to come across as naive and innocent yeah. when you really want to waste their time and mess with these people. We didn't do very well. Yeah, well, I would I would say we did only because. Um, we didn't walk in like, hey, can we join your cult? And it's like an <laughs> obvious troll. Hi, sir. Can I join your cult? Exactly, exactly. So we kind of we had them going for a bit. Um, just played like innocent, like, oh yeah, I really want to do this. How, how do I start? And just pretend you don't know that it costs money. And then when they do it, just play like pretend you're just like really just like, oh man, I really wish I could do that, but I don't know if I can. And then, yeah, if you show that you're interested and you want to, but you just can't do it for a alleged financial problem, right? They're gonna give you resource. They told me and somebody else. I think I may have told you the story. This is this is true. Uh, when I was in L.A., I went to the the chapter down there. Right. That that big main blue church. I think it was on, on Fountain Boulevard, I believe. Yeah, you have a lot more experience <laughs> with this than I do. So those people there, they tried to convince my friend and I to ask our family for money to sign up for a course down there. Oh, my God. And even went as far as to suggest that we lie and say we got into some car trouble. Wow. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Yeah. You could just tell them you got into some car trouble with yep. a smile. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, it, I could not believe it. And that was within like an, like an hour of yeah. going inside and sitting down and talking to them. With Well, with these cults that aren't ran by gen, like like literally insane people, the ones that are all about money and business, yeah. they're always, the bottom line is always money. Always. Same with the Pentecostal church. It was always money. There would be entire sermons about how you need to give money to the church. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to hell. Like, I mean, I was giving money to the church out of my first paychecks at my first job when I made nothing. Oof. Yeah, they, it's, it's always all about money. So anytime they start asking for money, that's a sure sign. Get out of there. Yeah. Listen, if you feel that you might be in a position where I'm trying to get the right word if you think you might be part of a group that could be a cult I highly recommend checking out some resources online like I did um, and if you have any stories that you want to share please send them in to us at stories at oddtrails.com we do take these things very seriously uh, I know we like to joke around a lot 
here at the ends of the shows. That's just our personalities. But these stories, they're very serious. Absolutely. They yeah, are, they are. Absolutely. So please send them in. We will handle them with care. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Odd Trails. Thank you again for listening to us again this week. We look forward to catching you next time. Stay safe. I'll edit it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine.